You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Thank you. For one of the few times you guys actually were loud. I just want to start this series... Uh, by pointing our attention to what I believe is a significant dilemma that we are up against as a culture, as a church, and as individuals. And the dilemma is this. Every single one of us, regardless of who you are, where you're from, what you've experienced and been through, every single one of us longs to experience the depth of relationship with other people for which we were created. But we're often unwilling to invest the sacrifice that that experience costs us. Now that really, that dilemma is the premise of this whole series, so I just want to say that one more time so you can really sit with that and think about that for a second. Every single one of us has an innate longing inside of us. Again, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter your church background, religious conviction, none of that stuff matters. If you are a human being, then you have within you an innate longing to experience the depth of relationship for which God created you. And we are often unwilling to invest the sacrifice that it costs for us to actually experience that thing that God designed us for. See, the reality is almost everything of value comes at a cost. And when that happens, we are left to determine if we are willing to pay whatever that cost is. So I want you to think about it like this. Next uh, April, my daughter Ava, which is hard for me to believe, turns 16. And so, yep, there's a whole grieving process going on. Um, But she's going to start driving uh, my Subaru Crosstrek. You might have seen my sweet whip out in the parking lot. Um, It's very reliable. It's very safe. Most importantly, it's the most painfully slow car I have ever driven in my life. I I really think I could push it faster than it accelerates some days. Now, because we plan to have Ava inherit my car, we're trying to figure out what's going to be the best vehicle then for me. And so I've always wanted a Jeep. But the longer that I have thought about it and the more I've had an opportunity here and there to like ride in a Jeep, I've decided I like the idea of a Jeep more than the experience of it. If you've never ridden one, just imagine with me for a second that someone seatbelted you into a blender because that's <laughs> kind of how it feels to ride in a Jeep. They, they look awesome and they're super fun, but they shake the bejesus out of you and I just don't know that I want that every single day. Now, in a similar vein, I love the new Broncos. Now, I know, right? Now, there's a good news, bad situation with this. The good news is they're supposed to be way, way more comfortable to ride in. The bad news is, at least for a while, I don't know if this is still the case, they were selling sometimes for over $50,000 over their list price because the demand for them is so high. So here's my point in all of this. I have a dilemma. I have a deep desire for something like the new Bronco. The problem is I'm not willing to invest the sacrifice of that cost. And in the same way, we all long for significant and meaningful relationships. We long for relationships where we can freely give and receive love, give and receive belonging and purpose and understanding and safety. The problem is 
those types of relationships don't just happen. They have to be built. And the cost of building them is never cheap. It's hard, it's uncomfortable, and it tends to be very, very slow. But it is also critical, particularly in the local church. There is a reality that exists now inside of almost every single modern church. And that reality is that modern church has really become an event. And Jesus never intended the church just to be an event that we attend here and there on a Sunday morning for 60 to 90 minutes. Jesus means the church to be a deeply connected community with which we follow him. That is the purpose of being part of a church. And so what that means is our primary task as a church is to help people build significant relationships with other Christians centered on our shared experience of faith. And the question then is, how do we build that type of deeply connected community? And so it's to that end that we're going to start this new series designed to usher in a new season of community building here at at Formation through what we are going to just simply call community groups. Now, even in hearing that phrase, and as you hear this talk about relationship, I know that there is a complicated mess of emotion that often wells up inside of us. Because on the one hand, there is that longing. We know that we need, that we want to have deep and significant relationships. And many of us have really significant wounds that we carry because of relationships with people in our past, maybe even in a small group or a community group. And so the technical term when we have those kinds of wounds is like many of us have just experienced an immense amount of relational trauma. I have so many friends that have had such horrible experiences in small groups in churches that they like they just want nothing to do with it but here's one of the most profound and this is true in in all of its forms one of the most profound lies that a past traumatic experience is always telling you is that what did happen will always happen does that make sense that's what trauma tells you. you have a bad experience and like let's just say you had some terrible experience with a small group of people in a church What that experience tells you is what happened there is always going to happen in every single medium that looks anything like this. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. It can. Sadly, sometimes it does, but it doesn't. What has been does not have to always be. And so, our intent for this series, my intent, it's not our, I'm teaching it, my intent is to help really draw our attentions attention to five significant building blocks that need to be in place to ensure that we have a fruitful experience in community together. And so that's why we're going to be trying to make sure that this teaching gets into everyone's ears because we want these to be safe places for significant relationship for every single person who desires this in our church. There is no way around the fact that we are just coming out of another very hard season as a church. It seems like that's all we've had for six straight years is hard season after hard season. With little, as I heard someone go, oh, well, you've been here, so it's you too. Not just me. We've taken our shots, we've been knocked down, but it's time for us to get back up and to start fighting to experience the essential Christian practice of community. 
And so to that end, if you have a Bible this morning that you want to read in, I want to invite you to go to John 15. That's where we're going to spend our time for this first installment of this series, John 15, specifically verses 12 to 17. And I want to call this message, The Secret of Sustained Relationship. The Secret of Sustained Relationship. And before we get into the scriptures, and all the scripture will be on the screen, I just want to give you a little bit of context here. For those, I never want to assume that we all have the same level of comfortability uh, with the scriptures. And so if you don't know, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that start the New Testament, they are historical biographies of the earthly life of Jesus, primarily focused on the highlights of the three years of teaching and healing that he performed prior to his crucifixion and resurrection. And one of the unique aspects of John's gospel, where we're going to spend our time, is that he closes his gospel by clarifying his purpose for recording what he did. Listen to this. This is in John chapter 21, uh, specifically verses 20, uh, where am I at? No, I'm sorry, 20. Listen to this. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what that means is everything that John records in this gospel is recorded to help us believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that through that belief, we would experience true life in and with him. And if you don't know, John was one of Jesus' original disciples and the only one to be given the distinct moniker of the one Jesus loved. And so what that means is, is that John had a unique experience with the love of Jesus which flows very nicely into this brief teaching that we're going to be looking at in John 15. Jesus has just finished telling his disciples that he was the source of the fruitful life for which they were made. And he uses this metaphor of a vine and branches. He's the vine and we are the branches. When we remain in him, the word he uses remain is is a Greek word meno, which means to abide or to stay rooted in. And when we remain in him, we produce fruit. Apart from him, our souls wither and die. And in verses 12 to 17, Jesus explains both the primary expression of the fruit that he wants us to produce and the secret to sustained relationship of any kind. And so I want you to just listen to these verses with me. In John 15, I'll read from 12 all the way through 17. You can read along on the screen. It says, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. So if I were going to summarize these five verses, here's how I would summarize. This is our big idea. Sacrificial love is the secret to all sustained relationship. Sacrificial love is the secret to all sustained relationship. That's true in our familial relationships. It's true in our friendships with one another. It's true of spouses. It's true of the Christian community that we need to build here at Formation. And I would promise you that anywhere and everywhere you have ever seen or experienced a breakdown of relationship of any kind, 
Somewhere along the way, there was a failure to love sacrificially. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to make just four brief observations about these verses, and then I want to highlight three sacrifices required for deeply connected community. So there's two lists. Can you handle that? One's got four, one's got three. The math is super simple, okay? Four observations, three sacrifices. Let's start with these observations. Here's observation number one. Love is the summation of the Christian life. Love is the summation of the Christian life. Now, remember, in verse 12, Jesus says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, it was very commonplace in Jesus' day for Jewish rabbis to be asked to summarize what the overarching message of the scriptures was. So on the regular, they would sit and they would debate the greatest, meaning the overarching commandment and what that truly was. And so in my vernacular, the question that they'd ask one another was, what's the big idea of the Bible? Like, what, what is the big idea of the law? What's the most important overarching command if you were to summarize it all down to one thing? And if you're familiar with the response of Jesus, every single time he's asked that question, he always replies with a twofold answer, not one. He always says, love God, love one another. Love God, love one another. From Jesus' vantage point, those two things are inseparable. And so Jesus has just finished talking about the need to remain in his love, and now he shifts to their relationships with one another. Jesus knew that their relationships were going to be hard. He knew that our relationships with one another were going to be difficult, were going to be challenging. And so he says, love one another as I've loved you, which leads us to our second observation. Christian love is sacrificial love. Christian love is sacrificial love. Notice, Jesus does not offer this command in some sort of vague, hippy-dippy, choose-your-own-adventure way that doesn't really mean anything. He anchors the nature of the love to which we are called. It is to be sacrificial. Jesus says that we are to love one another the way that he loves us. He laid down his life for us. Jesus, over and over again, was willing to forego his own comfort, to forego his own convenience, to forego his own preference for us. He was willing to humbly forego what he deserved. He opened himself to others in a way that made him vulnerable. He could even be hurt by them, and he was hurt by people just like you and I are. And the absence of this sacrificial love is why our relationships break down. Like maybe you're married and you come in here and you had like, I don't know why marriages always have fights on Sunday morning, but it seems very common I grew up in church. I've been hearing pastors make jokes about, like, you probably fought on the way to church. And I'm like, maybe we should get some marital therapy. But it seems to happen a lot. So just if there's some conflict happening in your marriage right now, if there's some conflict happening in your relationship right now, my guess would be somewhere along the way there's been a breakdown of sacrificial love. Because that's what that does. Oftentimes we are unwilling to love sacrificially. And self is the demise of love. It cannot exist with self. People have often said that hate is the opposite of love. I don't believe that's true. Self, according to Jesus, is the opposite of love because Christian love is sacrificial love. 
Observation three is this. Jesus is our model for friendship. When we want to know, like, what's it look like to be a good friend, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Notice that two times in these verses, Jesus calls them, and by extension, us, he calls us friends. This is the Greek word philos that refers to a person that you know intimately and that you regard with affection and trust. And Jesus, in these verses, contrasts the nature of our friendship with him with being a servant. In Jesus' culture, a servant was a tool. A tool is not given the courtesy of explanation. A tool is used to accomplish a task. For instance, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Tammy and I hung up a bike rack in our garage. We'd had this rack sitting in our garage for well over a year and a half. And we kept dragging our feet on putting it up because we just assumed the moment we start to do this is like an all-day project. Because that doesn't matter what it is, everything we do, like, well, this is seven trips to Home Depot, a bunch of anger and fighting, and uh, it's probably going to still be hanging crooked at the end of the day. And so as a result, stop saying, ah, good Lord. You, you are the most empathetic, kind, loving human I've ever met. I just feel nothing but sympathy and pity from you <laughs> every week. We're fine. Thankfully, it took, it took like 15 minutes for us to get this thing up, and we felt so silly afterwards because it was so simple. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to miss the point in the midst of this. Uh, at no point did I stop. I know this sounds ridiculous, but that's kind of the point. At no point did I stop in this task to explain to my drill why I was hanging up the rack. Because it's a tool. And I just use the tool for the task at hand. And so Jesus is using a contrast like this. And his point is twofold. First, we are his friends because he has gone to such immense lengths to help us understand his heart and his mind. You and I are not just tools that Jesus deploys to accomplish a task. We're friends with which he longs to share his heart and life. And I think that this is one of the places where there is such stark contrast between religion of any kind and the way of Jesus. Religion is about performing in order to earn the, the acceptance and the affection of a deity. And that is not the message of Jesus. Jesus wants relationship and friendship with us, through which we actually are able to share life. Now, the second thing that Jesus implies here is that he is our model then for friendship. And what that should teach us is that friends are not tools that we use to some self-centered end. Your spouse is not a tool that you use to some self-centered end. Your kids, your parents, none of our relationships are meant to be used to some self-centered end. We are partners that Jesus has put together to share life with one another. This is what we have with Jesus, and this is what he wants us to have with one another. Jesus is our model for friendship. Fourth observation, last one, is this. Loving friendship is how we expand Christ's kingdom. Loving friendship is actually how we expand Christ's kingdom. Jesus says here at the end of these verses, listen to this again. He said, I appointed you to go and produce fruit. Now, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you should hear an echo in those words. And the echo comes from Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28, where he says, go into all of the world and make disciples. So the primary fruit 
to which Jesus is referring, even here in John 15, is that of making disciples, which means people who don't know Jesus are introduced to him, and then they are formed in his image throughout the rest of their lives. And our sacrificial love for one another, this is so important. This is why our tone on social media and the breakdown and division that exists in our church and the church is so detrimental. Our sacrificial love for one another is meant to be a primary means of how we produce this fruit. It's how disciples are made. I mean, listen to what Jesus says just one page back in John 13, 34 to 35. Listen to the same thing he says here. I give you a new command, love one another. There's like a theme in Jesus' teaching, if you didn't pick up on it. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now listen to this. By this, by your love for one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That is a significant claim. Because what Jesus is saying is that it is not primarily our politics, our doctrine, or even our spiritual practices that signal to the world that we are his disciples. We might think, well, the primary way I can let the people around me know that I'm a follower of Jesus is I go to church on Sundays. Well, going to church on Sunday is essential and very, very important, but that is not what Jesus says here. Jesus says that sacrificial love for one another is what signals our surrender to him. And I got to tell you, we are failing on this front as the church in the culture that we live in right now. We're real bad at this, and it is a major problem. And the only thing that we can do is one little expression of Christ's larger church and kingdom is to model a better way. And so let's get practical for a second, and I want to close with three sacrifices that are required for us to actually build and experience deeply connected community together. What sacrifice will it take for us to build deeply connected community? These are the three that come to mind for me. Number one is a sacrifice of time. It's going to take a sacrifice of time. Let me just preface this by inviting you to be open-minded at this point. Because there's, like, sacrifice is, um, what's the word I'm looking It's a sacrifice. It isn't comfortable, it isn't easy, and there is no way that we can build what it is that we need to build here apart from sacrifice. And one of those, maybe the first and foremost, is just the sacrifice of time. So we are working to build four community groups when, that we will start when this series ends the first week in October. Uh, Each group is going to have roughly 10 to 14 people. Uh, Each group will have an assigned host and trained leaders. And I'm going to be writing each week uh, reflection and discussion guides off of our Sunday teaching to help us go deeper on our own uh, with complementary other areas of Scripture that might be talking about the same thing so we can prepare for that on our own. So it'll be a tool to help you sit with God. Then we would come together and we would be able to discuss what it is that God is teaching us. Groups are going to share life and pray for one another. We're also going to help groups pull together to do a simple service project. Hopefully one time a year is what we're working on. Now, in all of this, here's the thing. For the sake of truly building significant relationships with one another, community groups are going to meet weekly according to a semester schedule. So the way that that will break down is that they'll largely run two months on and then have a month off. 
because nobody's looking to commit a night a week for the rest of eternity. Amen? Good. Now you're excited. <laughs> so the way that this will break down is in October and November, that will be the fall semester, December will be off. They'll pick back up January, February, that'll be the winter semester, which with March, roughly March off for spring break. April and May, they'll pick back up for the spring semester, and there'll be no community groups that meet through the summer. And that's when we'll really prioritize things like family night and men's events and women's events uh, that'll be more church-wide events. So there's not, there's not this decision that people are trying to make around, well, do I go to my community group or do this other thing? We really, really want to be careful about stewarding all of our time well. So what I know is that any weekly commitment for most of us is going to be a significant sacrifice. Time is our most precious commodity. And so like even for our family, it's probably going to work best that maybe our, the group that we're a part of meets on Sunday afternoons after church. Because for me, it seems like the moment Monday hits and we're into the week, I'm like a glorified Uber driver with my kids right now. And so we'll try to have groups meet whenever it works for people, but we want to have a ton of flexibility on that front and find times that are conducive for all of the members. But there's just simply no way around the fact that giving 90 minutes to two hours a week to something like this is a, is a significant sacrifice for us. And so it's something that each of us will have to sit with and look at and say, in this season, is this something that I am capable and willing of sacrificing for the sake of entering into a new season of community. And what I will commit to you is that if we are willing to make this sacrifice, we can build something transformative together. Deeply connected community will require a sacrifice of time. But that's not all. Secondly, it'll require a sacrifice of commitment. Commitment. Community demands commitment, and commitment is a sacrifice. Many of us, increasingly so in our culture, are commitment phobes. Like, I don't like to commit to anything that's more than like 48 hours out because I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I don't know what I'm going to feel. I don't know if I want to have dinner with you in three days, maybe tomorrow, but in three days I may not be feeling it. So we, I'm just, I'm kidding. I don't ever want to have dinner outside of my home. That's pretty much, I just like to be home at night. So, so it's going to require commitment from us. And we, we want the freedom to, to be flexible and we want to be open to, to something that we might deem as a better opportunity. And the problem is relationship requires commitment. And, and at the risk of being too direct, it is time for some of you to stop casually dating formation and commit to a relationship. We have to be committed to one another. If we are going to build something that lasts here, something that is more than a Sunday morning event that we attend when we don't have anything else going on, we have to, have to, have to be willing to commit to one another. And so this means that when we sign up for a community group, which I am praying that every single one of you will, we have to actually show up. Sometimes we will go so far as to like register for something, like, yes, I'm in, and then I'm not in, and don't show up. There's no points for, for registering for things that you don't show up to. It's actually just a pain. So if we're going to sign up for this, we need to actually be there. Unless we're sick, traveling, or we have some other critical conflict, the commitment necessary is one of showing up and being present. Deeply connected community requires a sacrifice of time, commitment, and then finally, is patience. 
significant relationships are not built quickly. They take time, and I'll just promise you, it is awkward at first. Your first few community groups might feel a little uncomfortable because it takes time to build trust and to find a flow that really works. And because we have such a low threshold culturally for discomfort, most of us are unwilling to endure the uncomfortable infancy stage of community. And so we have to choose to offer this sacrifice of patience and give it the time that it needs to blossom and to grow. Deeply connected community will require a sacrifice of time, commitment, and patience. And as we close, I want to invite you to just close your notes and your Bibles for a second and to just close your eyes for a moment if you feel comfortable with that. And as you sit there with your eyes closed, I want you to just take a second and I want you to imagine how it would feel to have a group of friends who truly know you, truly see you, truly understand you, truly accept you, and love you. In the midst of any resistance or uncertainty that you might be feeling right now, just imagine what it would be like to actually have this kind of relationship. Imagine friends with which you could openly and safely process your spiritual journey. Imagine friends with whom to simply enjoy life and time together. Friends with which to find meaningful ways to be an echo of Christ's kingdom in our city. This is deeply connected community. And that is what we can build together if we will offer a loving sacrifice of time, commitment, and patience together. Sacrificial love is the secret to sustained relationship. So the question is, will we dig in and will we offer this sacrifice together? Let me pray over us. Father, we know that you have called us to and created us for community. And Lord, you know every wound each of us carries from a relationship gone wrong at some point in our past. And Lord, we thank you that you are our healer. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would give us the courage, the commitment, the patience to step into this new season of community building as a church. Lord, all of us have probably too much going on. And this might feel very overwhelming. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would bring peace right now. And Lord, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts and that you would help us to lean into the longing that we have to really have deeply connected relationship with other people. Despite our fear, 
our skepticism that that can actually be, Lord. I just pray that you would continue to help that longing to swell within us. And that because that longing is present there, we would be willing to do what we have to do. Take the steps necessary to build this in our lives. We can't do it on our own. We need your help. And so we pray that you would provide all that we need for all that you have called us to. Lord, would you help us? In Jesus' name. And as you just continue to sit for a moment with your eyes closed, I want to invite you to spend just a moment reflecting on what God is inviting you to this morning. Maybe there's something that he wants you to see, something that he wants you be willing to face with him. Maybe there's a wound that surfaces that he wants to heal. Maybe there are priorities that are out of whack that he wants to help you get into a place that positions you to be able to really flourish in life. Maybe he's just whispering, I want you to sign up to be in a community group. Just between you and God for the next moment, Ask him what it is that he's inviting you to today. Feel in our hearts everything that you have said to us today. We thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you are a God who helps, and we ask that you would continue to speak and that you would continue to help. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into some Q&A before we take communion together. What do we have first? Within the structure of community groups, is there room for organic things to take place? Meeting more often, group demographic, Bible studies, books. Uh, yes, we are going to a couple of things on that front. Um, at least one time, um, like a semester, we're going to ask that one of those groups just be like a social hang thing. So rather than just, and you guys, every group will have the leisure of being able to figure that out in a way that works for them. Um, and obviously... I have no control over the way that you spend your time. So if you <laughs> want to do more, then you're welcome to. If you want to do something outside of the group, go ahead. We've never told anyone who they can hang out with or when, and so we don't plan to start that because that's a cult. Um, I would say on the Bible studies and book studies, we are going to, in this first run, we're going to work pretty hard to tie this to what we're learning together on the weekends so that, and again, the intent is not to be heavy-handed or to be controlling of what it is that people are learning and studying. The point is, we want this to be, we want our weekend teaching to be something that really unites us, that God is saying to us together, and that we are then working out, well, what does this actually have to do with my day-to-day life? Um, and so that's kind of the goal, and that's why we're going to make them more te- uh, sermon-centric, at least in the beginning. And again, that can change in the future, and so we'll want a lot of feedback about how that's working. So um, I hope that helps. Next, is the intent of these groups to be more family, couple-based? No, they're meant to be everyone-based. We don't want them just to be for married couples. We are going to, if if what you're asking is, um, so our formation groups in the past have been very small, like usually three or four people, and they're gender-specific. These will be mixed-gender, um, we, I do think that it is advantageous for married couples 
to be in a group together so that your marriage is not siloed and so that you can be in relationship with other people who are walking with God. But they won't be what we've been doing with like three to four people where they're gender specific, they will be mixed gender and then couples will be in them and some families will be in them and uh, a bunch of single people as well. Next. Where does my formation group squad fit in with this? That's a great question. That is kind of up to you. I would say there are two, two things that I would encourage you to think about. One is, uh, a lot of this does come out of our formation groups have been great for a very small percentage of our church. By and large, it has not been a great pathway for community for a larger subsection of our church. Anytime that's happening, that's a problem. Like we, so we want to look at, okay, well, then how do we solve this and get as many people as possible plugged into community? So if your group is awesome and you love it, you can for sure continue to do that. Again, we don't tell you when and who you can hang out with. Um, that being said, if, it's, if it is not working, then I would strongly recommend that you jump into a community group. Um, if we have, I'm going to tell you about how we're going to have people signing up for groups uh, in just a few minutes, but um, if your whole formation group, like let's say, like I know we've got a couple of groups where like one is almost uh, all wives and the other is all husbands, and ever for these two groups, they're all, but to put you all in a community group together, we're going to work really, really hard to keep uh, places that you've already done work to build relationship, we want to be very intentional about honoring that and trying to keep those relationships together rather than, I mean, our church is like 13 people, so you kind of know everybody a little bit, but still, there's some depth of relationship, and we really want to work hard to not just build these based off of like, we live in the same area, but we actually have chemistry and relationship with one another. We want to be able to protect that. So, your squad could, or formation group could continue on, or um, you could fold together and join a community group. That will be something that you have a choice in. Next. Are these groups intended to be with or without our significant others if we are married or in a relationship? I, already, I think I just kind of answered that. Uh, we want to keep uh, significant others together if possible. Next. How will the people and meeting times for community group be determined? Uh, we will solicit the time frames that are going to work best uh, for everybody. That will obviously, when it comes to forming groups, that's one of the factors that does come into play. It's not that we don't want to pay attention to, you know, geographics and where people live. We just don't necessarily want that to be the primary driver. Uh, we want relationship to be the primary driver, and I would say a similar thing is true when it comes to meeting times. So um, it can, there's very few things more challenging than trying to find one time that works every week for 14 people. But we are, the Bible says that God is able to do above and beyond all we ask and think. And so we're going to hold to that promise and we are going to try and figure that out. So um, that will be determined by uh, groups availability more than anything else. Next, how are leaders and hosts going to be selected? Uh, there is two options. One is um, I approach you. The other is you approach me. So um, if, you, if there's something in you that you have an aspiration to either um, host or to lead, those two roles don't need to be the same, but they could be if it works for you to lead and you would have the space to be able to host in your home, then we can have a conversation about that, but we don't want to overload any one or two people with all of the responsibility. 
So um, there are some people that I've already begun having some conversations with, some others of you that I will uh, even in this next week. So when you see my name on your caller ID, you're going to be like, great, now i got to be, no, you still, everybody, you can say no. I mean, it would suck, but you can. And, uh, and then the other thing is if it, there's something in you that you really want to be able to, uh, to be a community group leader, then just let me know. Just send me an email or come talk to me today, and that would be the two primary ways. Next. If I am experiencing unresolved conflict and extreme discomfort and lack of connection with my group, is it okay to look at attending another group? Um, yeah, that's an intense crack question. <laughs> I do not, I'm not diminishing it in any way because, I mean, I've been there and it's terrible. Um, but I would say as a more general principle, because we really do want people to build significant relationship, like that doesn't happen amongst everybody. And so I think one of the things that makes people hesitant at times to sign up for groups like this is this belief like, well, if I join this group, this is my group forever. And I, I would say like we all need to be mature adults and be very open-handed with one another. And if a, if a group is not working for you, then we want to help find a group that does. What I would say, more specific to this, if, if there is unresolved conflict where there has been some rupture in relationship, as Christians, our posture is to repair what we have ruptured. Does that make sense? Our, our pattern is not to have a wake of broken relationships behind us. And when we have conflict, we just bounce to another thing. So what I would say is if it's just like you've given it a good try and just isn't working, night of the week isn't working, location isn't working, or for whatever reason, it's like we want to be able to help get people plugged in in a place that'll be great. And if there is unresolved conflict that is not getting resolved, then I would love to be able to help with that as well. All right, next. How many more do we have? Two more? Okay, two more. Um, are people who are not part of, our ch of the church invited? Um... I would say large in part, no, um, but I would love to have a conversation about it, so if you have somebody in mind. This is really about building community within our church, and um, I don't, let's see, what's the best way to convey the heart of this? We really want to work hard to build relationship in these groups. It is a very, the older I get, this is just a point of disclosure, the older I get, the harder it is for me to build new relationships. I've had, I, I heard, uh, I was listening to something recently, a pastor was speaking at a conference, you know, the average adult loses in their life seven important relationships to a, whatever number of reasons. So the average adult, all of us here, studies would show you're probably going to lose seven meaningful relationships in your life. Studies also show that the average pastor loses seven a year, which is crazy, and I could attest to. And so the older that I get, the more I've been, I've been doing this for like 20 years, and so it gets really hard because you just get to a point where like it's very hard for me not to look at people and to think like they're here for now because of just how much people come and go. We live in a really transient city, but also like, we're just fickle as humans. We do, like, can we be honest about the fact we don't always deal with everything in a biblical way? 
We don't always practice sacrificial love for one another. And as a result, our relationships dissolve and break down. And it's just traumatic and tragic every time it happens. And so the reason that I say that is the, we want to protect these groups. We don't want like a revolving door of people coming through them so that people can really have the time and space necessary to build relationship with one another. If we're constantly injecting new people into that, then it can be very disruptive to that. And secondly, what I, another thing that I would say is, I, here's what I would say. I'm way more open to someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus being a part of a community group than a Christian from another church. Because, and I don't mean this in any sort of mean way, it is not our responsibility to disciple people from other churches. It's our responsibility to provide a safe place for the people of our church to be loved and cared for and taken care of. And so anytime, like if there's someone from another, like they're not tied to our culture, they're not tied to our beliefs in any sort of way. And so I would say all of this and filter all of this through like, and I'm open to a conversation to hear like maybe more specific about it. But in general, these groups are for our church. That makes sense? And if I just made you mad or offended you in any way, it was not my intent, come talk to me because I do want to be able to, to help this work. Does that make sense? We good? Just looking for any pissed off faces. I think we're okay. <laughs> all right, last one. How do we prevent cliques from happening within small groups, especially if formation groups that are already established are in a group with new people? Um, let's see. Um, <clears throat> don't do that. I mean, I, I guess I don't really know what we can really structurally do to prevent this from happening. Um, I, I would say, like, so... When we use the term click, we tend to do it in a pejorative way, meaning we do it in a negative way. Because the, I think part of what's bound up in the, the experience with a click is it's exclusive and kind of doesn't want anything to do with anyone else. And that's a major heart problem, that we, like, that we would not be that way. What I would say, the other side of that is, like, we all need to have our people, if that makes sense. Like, you need to have, like Jesus did. Jesus was, he had a unique relationship with John. That was kind of his, like, that, that was, he's the only person that, that we ever hear referred to as the one that Jesus loved. Now, outside of that, Peter, James, and John were kind of like his inner three. Then he had the 12, then there was the 72, then there was the crowds. And so having uh, circles of relationship that as they get closer, that you're closer to, that is good and okay. No, even, even in the, our church is not big. We can't all share day-to-day life with each other. It's just not possible. Like, if you're pulling that off with one or two or three other people, you're crushing it. Because that can be very, very difficult just to figure that out. And so we don't want to have cliques where it's like, you know, I mean, how freaking weird would it be, too, if like 10 people came in every Sunday and they're like, don't talk to us, you're not in our group. So don't do that. I mean, it's, I don't really think it's that complicated. And... And you should have your community. You need to have that. We have our larger, like if you're here, you're a part of this church family. And you need to have a handful of people that really know you and that you're getting to know as well. And that is good and okay. So I want to be careful in in we don't want to be clicky and exclusive to other people ever. And it is okay for you to have some relationships in your life that are closer than others. Even Jesus had that. All right? Great, great questions. 
We'll continue to do Q&A all through this series. And so just keep, as they come to mind, uh, hang on to those and we'll keep answering them, all right?